Hello. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah, so John 5, 1 to 17. Um, if you have an observation or something that stands out to you or even a question, yeah, please feel free to just jump right in and, and let us know. Any observations, thoughts, or questions, <coughs> or just any kind of commentary you might want to make? I would think it's very profound mm -hmm. to see this happen in the perspective of the Jews, and like as much as like as a Christian, like. Mm -hmm. But I, I like understand. I would un like I understand the perspective of like why this would look so like outrageous if you were a Jew at the time. Why is that? Because like, like outrageous. They're in the like sense their of entire life. They're taught like the Sabbath right. is supposed to be kept and stuff, mm -hmm. and then for someone to like go against that, mm -hmm. it's like like you could understand their. I could understand that why they would view this as like a yeah. sacrilegious yeah. thing to do this person Jesus who all of a sudden is commanding I guess disobedience to the law yeah <coughs> it's interesting that your immediate focus is on the <coughs> perspective of the Jews one thing that just yeah. came to my mind that's, no, no I think that's interesting it's definitely a thought to have because mm, we are prone to do the same thing, right? Um, of the religious Jews at the time, that we could, we need to be in constant reminder of the blind spots we have in our own faith uh, to things that are like we would just consider them like this is the way things ought to be, without um, appealing to Scripture's teaching, right? Um, definitely a good warning. I think that's why the Reformation. One of its, you know, anthems was that the church is constantly reforming, right? That it never ceases to reform. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, any other observations or thoughts or questions or 
Anything that stood out for you? Anything you noticed as a <coughs> continuous image or beam? Or how do you see this in the context of drama? Did the water stir every day? Did the water stir every day? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? At certain seasons. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was like... I don't think it was like a daily like lottery kind of thing, right? <laughs> so can I ask this? Yes. I, well, actually, what is it? It's <laughs> <laughs> important. In essence, mm -hmm. the way it's worded, mm -hmm. this is kind of like a magical pool. Mm. But this is also like bracketed. So it's like mm -hmm. the way the it's described is that an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons and stirred mm -hmm. it up. That I. Mm -hmm. So without without that, it would just say, "In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. A man was there who had been ill for thirty years. Like that entire uh, section is removed, right? Mm -hmm. Why did they take that out? Uh, in the earliest manuscripts, it doesn't exist. Yeah, so there might be in some of your Bibles uh, a little footnote, like maybe like a little number one or two. Um, and I'll tell you, like, the earliest manuscripts do not contain the remainder of verse 3, nor verse 4. Um, and that's why it's square bracketed. There are other verses like that as well. So I think famously, of course, the story of John 8, right? When, you get, when we get there, right? The cast your, casting the stone against that woman. You know, he was sin, without sin cast the first stone. Like that the whole thing is omitted. Uh, in Mark, um, when we get there at the very end, you're gonna realize pretty much the end of Mark does not exist in the earliest manuscripts, right? I think yeah. though, in this case, mm -hmm. the inclusion of verse three and four logically makes sense only for this reason. <coughs> in verse seven, I have no man to put me into the pool when the mm -hmm. water is stirred up. Mm -hmm. If you were to take out three and four, it's like what the heck is he talking about, right? Yeah. And the stirring up is mentioned in verse. Do you yes. think? So I, I personally. Like, I'm always careful with, like, manuscript stuff. People yeah. are like, oh, this is definitely not in it. Um, yeah. You need to kind of read the context. But that's why I think it's square yeah. bracketed, right? Yeah. I think the appropriate thing to do is that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is to footnote it and say that early, might manu be some early manuscripts yeah. so do not. in this case, early manuscripts did not have it. Do not. So they do you do think it could be a situation where they saw verse 7 and it's like, wait, the people won't understand this unless... I think the original audience of Mark would have already known of it. Mm. Yeah, no, but do you think why early manuscripts they might not have included it and then later on they included it to give the context it's of what comes possible. later possible but earlier doesn't necessarily mean like closer to the original mm -hmm. oh because right? you can have a later one that actually follows true. the original like the, the yeah. line but like the there's a there's a deducible yes. like reasoning that you can make that oh earlier manuscripts a mul multiple number of many early manuscripts excluded this part yeah but yeah. then there's so, so many manuscripts it's likely that, that yeah, but it, it's possible that the earlier ones are more reliable, but you, we don't know for sure, right? Either, you know, the one, the, the newer ones, there's a more abundance of them. So some people be like, oh, these were copied because people thought they were more reliable, right? So it, it's, it's hard to tell. You have to also consider, like, why would they continue copying those manuscripts if they weren't accurate to the original? Yeah if you had knowledge of the original manuscripts. So, so that's where I'm like wondering, what is the implication of things like this to like... Our faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the, I think what's hopeful is that we can pinpoint it 
what's um, and what is good is that we're able to deduce exactly what parts of the text do not exist in some early manuscripts and then give ourselves that footnote like that knowledge um, but when you actually look at all of these texts and verses and passages where um, this is the case they're pretty much like they don't affect the contents of like the word itself mm -hmm. like there's there's no effect on it right yeah i think the biggest would be john 8 and then the end of mark um there would be definitely like because the end of mark like it's I think it talks of the resurrection and like all that mm -hmm. and that definitely it's odd when you remove that how the story ends but I think Mark would have had intention in doing that like possibly and then John 8 a lot of people argue is just in the wrong place and it's likely something that happened but was just added later to kind of you know contribute to the to the gospel itself but mm. um, definitely worth uh, considering um, in this case, I think the term Bethesda or the name would have already given you enough information for a person hearing this gospel, especially a Jew, would have already had knowledge of the nature of this pool. And so in, by the time you get to verse 7, they know exactly what pool you're talking about. And so that commentary or that footnote of like the information of the pool and the water stirring is not really that important to them yeah. but potentially a scribe would have said oh there's going to be like future readers of this who, yeah, like yeah, Gentiles yeah. who just don't know this stuff so yeah. let me just add this thing here right? so would you consider that an addition not by the inspired author but a scribe and so it's well you would have to because Mark didn't write it yeah. right? I think, I think you would have to argue that potentially Mark did not write these words right? so it's better just not to consider these Cases as we can't know for sure. No. That's the only thing. Yeah. Right. It could have been there. It, it could not have been. Mm -hmm. So, but again, as, as Max said, like it doesn't affect like the the fundamental doctrines that we believe. Mm -hmm. yeah. It'd be pretty problematic if it was like Romans nine was not in the yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it'd be like yeah. oh. Wait, yeah, wait. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it'd be pretty bad, you know. Yeah. Like every mention of the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. there's a dispute about this. So it'd be That's like pretty bad. problematic yeah. when it comes to those things. Yeah. Um, good points. Very good points. Um, anything else stand out? Jesus recognizes the sick man first. Ooh. What do you? Well, okay. Well, why do you say that? And like, like, what is your point in saying? That? Uh. I don't know. I, I was just like, <laughs> 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 wait, what? Um, so, like in, mm -hmm. like in verse six, it says Jesus saw him lying there, mm -hmm. and then down, down in a few verses after, he said, in the temple, or where I think Jesus found finds him in the temple. Mm -hmm. Right. I was just like reading that. It was just connection. Maybe there's a connection in between that, those two. Not a connection, but like. Mm -hmm significance in Jesus finding him or seeing him first mm -hmm. um, so. like Jesus seeking him out first mm -hmm. mm. where where are your thoughts going on that because um. <laughs> there it, it stood out to you for a reason right because there's like a double mention of this right mm -hmm. so we see Jesus saw him lying there knew already we've seen this before right he knew like Philip's brother coming to him he knew of him and then they're inspired by that like the Samaritan woman at the well he knew her sins right like there's this like divine knowledge that keeps coming up um, 
and he is the one first seeing right this person and knowing and then approaching um, and then we see in verse 14 that he finds him again um, after he's been made well right um, what kind of significance could you state about that or where do you, where are your thoughts kind of like flowing uh, towards? Well, can't really elaborate, but like um, if you had to, if I have to, yeah. then it's not the sinners that it's not. We can't find Jesus with our own strength, <laughs> but it's Jesus who finds us first. Um, mm. Or it's well in this context, it's the Holy Spirit that works within us that helps us to find Him or see Him. <laughs> I don't know. That's good stuff. <laughs> oh, very good. I think yeah. like you're you're getting to something. I think that is very profound in John's Gospel, which is uh, Christ's uh, like divinity and his his divine nature is very. It's coming to the forefront. Uh, in these instances and what it's indicating to us i think is um that it is really him who is seeking his the lost out right that's why we're like we're gonna like get to it but in like like this gospel like is is really like in john's gospel it keeps mentioning this right like it's jesus seeking and finding his his own like he is in his time in god's timing doing these works like there's this incredible like providence over all these things right um it is interesting. It is interesting that what is highlighted here, um, comparatively, the nobleman's son, right, to this person, right, from the nobleman's son who sought Jesus for the healing of his son, or sorry, the nobleman seeking out Jesus for the healing of his son, <coughs> compared to this man who had no idea who this Jesus even was, and Jesus is seeking him out. There's a, there's both healings here, but very interesting sort of dichotomies that are being contrasted. Uh, very good point. Uh, anything else? What was so funny before? Oh, it's stupid. Say it. No, it, it's not <laughs> anything okay. to do okay. with the content. Because no <laughs> when I read 11 and 12, I thought I, like, didn't, I thought I reread the same oh. line. Oh. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought I yeah, tripped yeah. you up because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I, was a l I was a little lost there. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you, I feel you. Um, Any other observations or thoughts? Like on the text. Let's execute through this, man. Verse by verse. Verse by verse. And you lead it, man. <laughs> I'll try. Um, I'm done with hearing Andy, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what immediately stands out? I think it's pretty obvious, right? Like there is a consistent image that is being brought forth from John, like John two, John three, John four, now John five. We have a certain image that is clearly being like pushed on us which is well John 2 what did we have water turning into wine John 3 conversation with Nicodemus about born. being born again right uh, by water spirit and then we have conversation with Samaritan woman at the well right the seeking water like living water and then John 5, we are at a pool with water that heals, right? Um, there's, it's, it's very interesting. You also have to make note of, and we're going to get back to what your point was, there is, I think, a significance between the stamps of uh, 
like his first interaction with this man and where and when that was, and his second interaction with this man, where and when that was, and the state that and the state of this man post and pro, prior and post conversation with Jesus. So shelve that and make sure I get back to it. First one, after these things, so he's connecting prior um, to what is about to happen. There was a feast of the Jews. Do not not take notice to this. Um, what does that mean? Feast of the Jews. Cedar, there was something happened. Passover. Passover. Yeah, right? Um, there are three, remember, instances, uh, three Passover feasts uh, in John's Gospel. And so here we have the Feast of the Jews and Jesus going up to Jerusalem like every other Jew would have done, right? To give their um, offering and have their meals and all that stuff. So it's not by coincidence that we find him again in Jerusalem here. There is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. All these details we have to like figure out what are these things, right? Anyone know what the sheep gate is? It's not this church. <laughs> um, but what is the sheep gate? Well, I was wondering what it is. It's is the there con- just one in the city? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone familiar with like the construct of Jerusalem, like how what it looks like or where it is or you know, everyone anyone been to Jerusalem? I feel like Richard would have been to Jerusalem. <laughs> I'm not a big travel guy. Oh, true, true. <laughs> uh, Jerusalem is a city on a mountain, right? Mount Jerusalem. And so the temple is built or was built on top of this mountain. Today, uh, Jerusalem lies on top of this mountain as well. Um, and Jerusalem is surrounded, original Jerusalem, like old Jerusalem, is surrounded by these gates. Like uh, like old cities are all like have gates, right? Even Asian cities, you go like Seoul, right? has east, south, north, west gates. Uh, same thing would have existed for Jerusalem. Um, and each of these gates had a function, and one of these gates was the sheep gate. And the sheep gate is clearly a gate for, for livestock, for sheep. Yeah. And what did they do this sheep during they, the Passover? They killed it. Yeah. They sacrificed them, right? So this was an incredibly busy gate at the time of the feast of the Jews, um, and that is where we find ourselves, right? So again, just keep that on the ba- in the background, right? As context, this is a very like religious time. Of course, our minds are already going to fast forward to the crucifixion and when that occur- when that occurs. Uh, but just keep that at the back of your mind, right? That this particular event is occurring with this in the backdrop, right? I don't think John is giving us this detail without like significance, like in it, right? He's allowing us. He's setting the scene so that we know exactly what's happening in the background as this story unfolds, right? And um, there was a pool. And it was called in Hebrew, Bethesda. Some of your Bibles might say Bethesda, right? Or there might be like a couple other variations of it. Um, There are like some copyist errors, I believe, like in the original uh, documents or manuscripts. Um, But basically, they're all synonymous locations, Bethesda, right? Um, Anyone know (laughs) what Bethesda means? (laughs) I'd be very shocked if anyone knows this. Anyone really well versed in Hebrew? I have a note here. You have a note? So you're cheating. (laughs) (laughs) I have a note too, but it just says some say it's Bethsaida with a different spelling. Yes, yes. Uh, So, okay, what does your note say? Uh, House of Mercy. Mm -hmm, House of Grace or Mercy. Um, And that is. What do do you think the significance of that is? Because John, again, wants us to know this name, right? 
So you have the Passover, like the Feast of Jews, you have the Sheep Gate, <laughs> right? And we're at the House of Grace and Mercy. What do you think? All, how does this all connect? Okay, this better be good. <laughs> this has to be no, good I now. I think, I think... Okay. Like, it's it's like the gospel kind of being portrayed, and it's okay. kind of like... Okay. It gave me shivers. But <laughs> if okay. I'm wrong, I'm going to feel really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give it a shot. No, no, that's exactly what <laughs> Oh, that, oh I thought you had the sheep, yeah, the sheep what's, come, what's going and on next the sheep gets slaughtered, <laughs> and, well, Jesus approaches this man, this, this guy gets healed who was unable to get healed on his own. Mm. Mm. And it kind of draws parallel to... Yeah, yeah no, I mean, what we've already observed, right, with, in John 2, the purification jars, right, and you had the water turning into wine. We've already had that conversation with Nicodemus, a religious leader of the time, and then the Samaritan woman at the well, right, this expectation of the, uh, the Taheb, the Messiah, are you the Christ, right? You had these conversations ensuing, um, and then you had this conversation with the nobleman, right? Who's like, hey, like all you seek is like these signs and wonders. So there's still healing. Uh, there's an emphasis, right, on faith. Um, and there's this, this narrative that is starting to build, right? And here we find ourselves the Feast of the Jews, which marks a very important time in Jewish history. Uh, by the sheep gate, a pool, water imagery again, uh, and then this Bethesda, this name that's given to us, the house of grace and mercy, and then it has five, what is your, what is your Bible translated as? Mine says porticos, but what does yours say? Sorry? Porticos? Colonnades. Colonnades, okay, all very interesting terms. Richard, what does yours say? Porches. Porches? porches? Five porches. Really? Yeah. What's your um version? It's uh, New King James. Let me oh, see. Porches. Greek. <coughs> what is that? Because to me, the, as soon as I read this, I was like, what is that? What is a portico? You want to know what a portico is? <laughs> okay. I'm so hungry. I was keep seeing that word as potatoes. <laughs> 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 I don't know what it is. <laughs> I was thinking almost like a gazebo. <laughs> gazebo. Yeah. I think this com- this particular detail that John gives us connects everything together. What? Yeah, I think this is this is where we the get the con- the portico part. Anyone? Any thoughts? There are five columns, I should tell you. I'll just tell you, right? They're pillars, they're columns, right? And they uh, represented uh, in this, in the temple, and in this area, I should say, uh, the five books of the Torah. And what is, what is, what do the five books of the Torah represent for Israel in the Jewish tradition? The law. The law, right? So try to put this all together. Knowing what it's about to occur with the healing of this man Ooh. who could not enter this pool, right? Because he was completely crippled. Like, he could not do it himself. Right? There was no possible way that he could heal himself. Right? Like, solve this issue that he has. He's going to encounter Jesus. Not only will that issue be resolved, um, jumping ahead, but at the end of this story, a greater healing occurs, right? What is that greater healing? 
of sin. Right. There's first a physical healing, but what is far and infinitely greater is, of course, a spiritual and moral healing that occurs right, later on by Jesus' authority and his word. Right. I think what is what John is setting up for us, like in terms of time and place and setting, right? And if this is like a film, he's setting up like the backdrop of everything. Um, he's giving us basically images to connect the story all together, right? So these five porticos, uh, when they were constructed, represented the five books of Moses, the Torah, representing the law. Um, and it demonstrates that this pool, like the old system of the law, will be overrided by Christ's work and his authority, thus rendering the old system obsolete. And he will fulfill it, of course, but no longer will you seek or turn to the law as a means of, just like this man will no longer need this pool as a means of healing and solution to his problems. Does that make sense? So in these, it says in verse 3, lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. So just an entire crowd of various types of um, handicaps, right? And defects and unfortunate uh, realities in their life. We'll read this part that's in the brackets. Waiting for the moving of the waters, because I think it gives us some context here. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So that's the context, right? So we're given this scenario where there is this, according to Andy's words, like a magical pool, right? Well, it's not really magical. It's this angel of the Lord who is stirring this pool um, to cause this effect in them. A man was there. So the, the story goes from this really wide scene of Feast of the Jews, Temple, Sheep Gate, Porticos, and then whoop, zooms in all of a sudden, right? So again, they're just like, try to follow this story as John is telling us, right? There's all these people, sick, lame, blind, everything, and then boom, zooms in on just one particular individual, a man. Right? Not all of these people, just a singular man. No name, no nothing. Just a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. That's a long time to be waiting to be the first person in the pool. But what do we learn about this man? Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. And I think the word choice there by John is important. In that condition, he had been like that for a long time. He said to him, and this is where I think we... Um, where I, 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 again, like Jesus's con conversation and his socialization with individuals in the Gospel of John, it's peculiar. We saw it with Nicodemus. We saw it with the Samaritan woman at the well, right? He just gets into very like odd forms of conversation. He says to him, "Do you wish to get well?" Now, is this like a joke, right? <laughs> like because if you're this man, right? Um, and you've been there for 38 years trying to be the first person in this pool. You're incapable of it, right? Um, he can't. It, in verse 7, it says, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So he 
is reliant on another. Like he can only depend on another to help. He cannot do it himself, right? So he can't actually do this. Like it's impossible for him to be the first person to pull because what he has is he cannot walk. Now the irony, of course, and we're, we're going to jump ahead for a moment, is he's going to get rebuked for walking. The very thing he couldn't do for 38 years. First time he finally walks, he gets rebuked for it, right? Um, anyways, we'll get, we'll get there. But the question is interesting. Do you wish to get well? My question to you is, um, well, first of all, what's your, like, what's, what's your reaction to that? Jesus is saying, do you wish to get well? Um, and why do you think he starts the conversation this way? I think it's to um, make him acknowledge like, where he's at, mm. um, how helpless he is. And that's a way to, once he realizes, once he's reminded of his need, he'll like look for the solution, right? which is Christ. Kind of, kind of drawing him to, to himself, drawing him, or calling him to like believe in him. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and if we're tying this to, of course, eventually the work of Christ and the ministry of Christ will accomplish greater thing than, than this, like mm-hmm. the healing of this man who could not walk. Um, what does that what does that mean for us? We are helpless. Yeah, I I think a parallel is being drawn here that spiritually we're like this man. We're crippled to the point where we cannot do anything for ourselves. We cannot help ourselves. We need another to help us. Right? There is this necessity of another person to help us to receive healing. Right? This person can only be Christ, of course. That's going to be like John's conclusion in this. But um, what's what, what's really significant to me is the answer to this question is obvious. In fact, the sick man doesn't actually answer the question. Mm. He doesn't say yes or no. He assumes Jesus knows the answer to this question too, I think. Right? We, why else are you there? Right? What else could you do? Clearly, you do want to get well. Um but what I see in locked in the question is also, let me help. Like, there's an offering of help, an invitation of help being given, right? Because it's not, do you, it's not, do you wish to get well? I'll put you in the pool. Mm-hmm. It's, do you wish to get well? Like, is there an understanding uh, within yourself of your condition and thus your, your understanding of a need for help? But I think that also reveals to us spiritually, we don't, actually want to get well and perhaps this is what's being reflected upon the Jews of Jesus' time is they don't recognize their condition thus they don't seek getting well Mm -hmm. so the question is simple and it's quite obvious but I think it really like it just contains multiple layers of understanding for both the Jews of the time in the context of what's going on here, the man himself clearly—I mean, he—I—I—I I, I don't want to assume things, but I don't think, in at least in the immediate moment, the man understood exactly what the nature of the question was. Mm-hmm. But for us reading this, I think it's a reminder, Christians: Do you understand? Uh, prior to your coming to faith in Christ, Savior and Lord, you did not have understand understanding of your condition. You certainly did not know that you needed to get well. Mm-hmm. And this understanding of both condition and need of a Savior 
is unlocked by Christ's work, by his seeking out of you. Mm-hmm. Right? This is like just a simple question, but I think it's so profound. Like it's, it stands out to me like a lot. Verse 7, the sick, sick man answers him, Sir, I have no man. Right? So, I mean, the language is peculiar, but he says, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. So where does he find his source of solution to his issue right now? Or what does he perceive to be the solution to his, uh, to his problem? Another man to put him into the pool. Another man, and then ultimately the pool itself. Right? So his physical condition could only be recovered or healed by uh, the work of another man and by this miracle pool. The work of a person helping him out and this miraculous pool, water, right? Um, But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. So that's a hint in terms of what his condition is, right? He himself cannot walk, right? And then verse 8. Tell me what you think about this. Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk where he's mat, right? What jumps out to you in that? So the conversation is simply this. Do you wish to get well? Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water's stirred. Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. <laughs> right? What do, you, what do you think? I'm drawn to the response to that. I don't know if that's what you... What, what, what are you drawn to? The fact that, okay, they might not have described like the entire process, but the mm-hmm. fact that after being crippled for 38 years, mm-hmm. he hears those words and just gets up and walks mm-hmm. and just kind of walks away from right. what, what I can see. Right. I don't get that. <laughs> Wait, say that again. <laughs> That's like astounding that he just. It's like he. When I'm imagining the scene, it's mm-hmm. almost like he was put into a trance. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to mm-hmm. understand. Like the man, the on. man himself. Yeah. Uh, why, wait, why do you say that, sir? Because Jesus says these words, and it's not like. Like get up. We get don't up. get the narrative that it's like oh, it's like get up and walk. It's like what do you mean get up and walk? Mm-hmm. The man doesn't go, wait, what are you talking about? Like, can you put me in the pool? Like right, just right. immediately just, just okay. And then gets up, and then he doesn't even remember Jesus later. Meaning yes. he just walked yeah, away. Yeah, and we're going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> we're going like, to get oh, to that. okay, cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Thank you. What's yeah, your yeah. name? <laughs> we're going to get there, which is really interesting. really go to the washroom. It is. <laughs> it is interesting, but again, I think yeah. that reveals a lot about us too, but... Uh, in the immediate, the man became well, picked up his palm, and began to walk. Yeah. <laughs> what I find, there's this, okay, there's a constant mention of another steps down before me. Pick up your palm and walk, and he began to walk. This really interesting thing about this is that the very thing he could not do was the very thing preventing him from entering the pool, which was his perceived solution to his issue. But when Jesus heals him, Jesus essentially serves the function that the pool that he thought the pool would serve so jesus is the pool if you will right in this case and so the very thing he wanted to do to get into the pool that he could not do is healed and so the pool becomes completely irrelevant after 38 years of wanting to enter that pool immediately the very thing he thought was the solution to his greatest problem 
is completely gone. Like, it's immediately not a thing on his agenda. Like, he can walk now. It's not like... It's like... If that was if like, it was ju- me like just in case yeah <laughs> let me get if it was me like I would be like <laughs> just in case yeah. if it was me I'd be like I mean I think I'd be like this man I think I would just be too joyous and just be like whoa I yeah. can walk right but at the same time like it's interesting that he was so desperate to enter this pool he encountered well Christ Christ comes and he encounters him and this healing work of Christ this miraculous work of Christ renders this lifelong pursuit completely useless in an instant right like (laughs) it's it's unbelievable like think about like he has been pursuing this for so long and at one word like just the authoritative word of Christ it's like completely not his concern anymore he doesn't even offer help to anyone else who's potentially in the same situation right like he He's like, oh, please help me enter the pool. Like, obviously, everyone's out for themselves, mm-hmm. which I think also says a lot about this world, right? Everyone's just living for themselves. Yeah. Like that that entire pool like scenario is just really great analogy of our of mankind, right? I also think we see um, election here because it's like there's yes. a great multitude. Yes. Why did Jesus just heal everyone? Right. Mm-hmm. You're like boom, 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 but just one person. But yeah. Can I also ask? Okay, I know it's kind of. But does Jesus give the man a choice when he asks the question? Which question? Do you wish to get well? Was this person saved? Is that uh, at this point? Go? No, I don't think so. But oh, sorry, what was your question? Like, does he have a choice? We're talking about election in the sense that he comes to this man, picks yeah. out the man, and yeah. provides this. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I'm. T- I'm just curious of this thought. Mm-hmm. But he asks the question, like, do you wish to get well? Mm-hmm. If the man had said no. <laughs> but, like, in the grand scheme of things, we know he wouldn't say no. Mm-hmm. Right. And we know he can't say no. Mm-hmm. Well, he can say no, but he yeah. would, like, there's no, so like, everyone I'm there. Lying. I'm yeah, just saying, it's lying. not that I disagree with you. It's like, yeah. I'm like, you can look at it that way, but I feel like you could argue it on the other I see the question as more like rhetorical. Mm-hmm. Like he clearly yeah. is not going to say no, Fair right? Because like he, Jesus knows the guy's guy perfectly, his history and everything. Right. So it's like he knows how broken and sad he is. So it's like yeah. obviously he's going to say yes. But it's like by asking that question, he's drawing him to like he's drawing him to himself now, right? It's like, mm-hmm. and I I yeah. think his response is um, very like. Ref- like, for me, when I read his response of, like, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool, that's just, like, can you please put me into the pool? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I can see you can walk. Like, can you help yeah. me out? Like, you... You know what sucks about this whole situation? This guy... Well, actually, maybe not the whole time. This guy has been crippled for 38 years, year after year, hoping someone would come by and do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So And it's greater than... He's failed for 38 years. Mm. Yes. And so the solution sad. is greater so than he sad. could have possibly imagined because he doesn't even need the pool. So you know what's crazy? Like at one point, if I was like in that kind of situation, wouldn't you give up? Thirty-eight years crippled, nobody helps you. Like I think at least I don't know by, if like, you can give up because you're in a situation where you can't even move. Sure, no, no. But by like the thirtieth year, would you want to live anymore? Oh, like give up on life? Yeah. 
commit That's suicide. an interesting point. That's actually an interesting point. Like, the fact that this man... But I think that it also is, like, clearly this is, like, reflective of, like, mankind, right? Like, there's an image being portrayed about, like, our human state. Um, and we're looking at this, like, this thing, and it's providing hope for him, right? For him, it's hope. This pool is hope of a life better, like, a life better, right? But it's a life better now. But here comes Christ, and he is offering some a life better eternal, right? And... Um, it's it's so like it's such an interesting conversation. It really reminds me of his conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, right? She came that day for drinking water left with living water. This man was at the pool seeking this pool, encounters Christ and receives the greatest healing of all, like the the greater healing that he could not have even imagined, right? But again, the question, the response, and then Christ's authoritative command, right? The immediate solution to his problem was not the pool, but of course. Uh, later on, John's going to make a point of this. Uh, an unlikely source is his solution, mm-hmm. right? A, a, a source that he could not have imagined, right? Um, that a man would come and all of a sudden be able to heal him. So he tells him, "Get up, pick up, pick up your pallet and walk." And immediately he does so. He became well. He picked up his pallet, began to walk. So he, what he could not do to enter the pool, he can now do. But then. So here we go, feast of the Jews, and then boom, all of a sudden, it was, now, it was the Sabbath, okay, so rest day, and on that day, right, so the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, I think this is, again, giving us um, an insight into uh, the issues with the religious people of the time, how they practice their faith, how they uh, understood and interpreted scripture, and then, of course, their practice, right? So it is a Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Like, are they wrong? In the laws, no. In the laws, no. Okay. In the customs they grew up in. Mm-hmm. But... Actually, I'm. I know you're not allowed to toil and work, mm-hmm. but can you like not even pick up something? Yeah. So very good question. So I looked this up. What is and what is not permissible on the Sabbath? There are thirty-nine categories of non-permissible works, and most refers to work, of course, that we are commonly allowed to do and are in fact encouraged to do on the six days uh, that are not the Sabbath. Carrying things is not allowed from one place to another. So what did he do? He picked up his it's mat. Not allowed. Yeah, he picked up his pallet. Yeah. He picked something up yeah. and walked. So he moved. Oh. He displaced from one <laughs> position to another. That was not allowed. Yeah. Um. But the irony, of course, is that for thirty-eight years he wasn't even capable of doing this. Like he could not break this law until this healing occurs. <coughs> right. So this is peculiar, right? By Christ's authority, he's given this healing. He can now break the law, right? And he does so oh. at Christ's command, right? Um, and then he's being rebuked on it. But this is not permissible um, for you to carry your pallet. So they're not, their concern is not, why are you walking? Their concern is, why are you carrying the pallet? Right? That is the concern. Yeah. Um, I and wonder then, if Jesus did that on purpose. 
Oh, I think oh, 100%. Oh, hundred percent. I think he did this on purpose. Just saying, yeah. just saying, just go. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Definitely. I, I think um, it's like this is disobedience. Like we make the distinction between the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Right? Mm. Clearly, this is breaking the letter of the law according to the understanding of it. But the spirit of the law was never for this purpose, right? Yes. To be this um, like ridiculously strict. That, that wasn't God's intention for these laws. But the Pharisees just, um, you know, after like a thousand years after Moses, fifteen hundred years after Moses, mm-hmm. they just like made everything strict, okay. just to kind of like elevate themselves, right? It's like, oh, we're gonna follow these kind of arbitrary laws. We're gonna look good, um, and everyone else needs to follow. Mm-hmm. But that's not what God intended for these Sabbath laws. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I was wondering. Like, was that a law that was added later, or was that a law? That I think the strictness of it was added later. Yeah. It wasn't meant to be this strict. Like, the guy has no choice but to carry his knife. He's not just leave it there, right? But they're so... They've forgotten the purpose of the law. It's really to help your fellow man, to love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. But they just... It's like that verse where it's like, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Right? The Sabbath was to help man rest. But the Pharisees made it like, oh, no, though. Man needs to obey these strict, strict laws just for the sake of obedience and looking good, right? And that's not the purpose of the Sabbath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, this whole scenario is being set up by Jesus, clearly, right? He's going to this place, speaking to this man, healing him. He slips away. He finds him in the temple, counters him again, has that conversation. It's very interesting, right? So, uh, they asked him, right, um, or he, sorry, he says in verse 11, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. So what is he doing here? So they come to him and say, It's not permissible on the Sabbath for you to do this. What's his response? Yeah, classic humanity, right? I mean, we see this from the very beginning in Genesis, right? Adam, like, blame, blame, blame. Not my fault. That guy, some guy told me to do it, right? Interestingly enough, he doesn't even know who the guy is. <laughs> um, so he does this. Blames Jesus. He told me to pick up my pallet and walk. And I'm just glad I'm healed, right? Verse 12, they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? Verse 13, this, is, this gets like really interesting now. Man who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. What is the significance of this? Didn't he slip away before too? Yes. Well, actually, no. Uh, it's coming up. I know where you're... Wait, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> he disappeared without, like, like telling... It, it, I the, don't know, in the, the slipping is chapter, really good at slipping away. Yeah. Previous, chap- previous chapters, I don't think there was a slipping away, but in chapters to come, he does, yeah. yes. Yeah. There's, like, a party he slips away from. There's, like, crowds that try to kill him he slips away from in another gospel. Like, he does a lot of slipping away. How about, like, not telling someone, like, that he healed or he encountered to, like, don't seek him or I forget the exact words, but... Yeah, yeah. There are times where he says, like, you know, like, for example, when he heals in Gennesaret in Mark... I'm going to say Mark 3, but anyways, he heals, and then in the Gerasenes, the Legion guy, right? He unleashes the 300 demons and puts them in pigs fall off the cliff and then it tells the man the man's like so head over heels over Jesus like, like let me follow you and he's like no stay here and proclaim my name right tell oh. everyone about this place right 
Um, so that's like Mark. We see that in like other Gospels as well. You know, hush, hush, don't tell people about me. Just keep it to yourself. Um, like there's timing involved with these things. There's precision in, in, in the plan. Um, but what stands out to you about this? The man who was healed did not know who it was. But she just slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. What, what, what stands out to you in that? Or does anything stand out to you? The man does not know who it was. The man does not know. Yes, very true. Oh, like man in general, like mankind. No, no. The man who had been healed forgot, or maybe not forget, but doesn't even try to. Like, clearly, he didn't like Jesus was not the focus when he was healed, because mm-hmm. he didn't see Jesus. Or that's mm-hmm. what stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Witnesses. Witnesses? What, what do you mean? There are a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> just give me full sentences. Not just words. Not a mind reader. Not <laughs> 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 a mind reader. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. You expect us to understand. I was like, Wheel of Fortune. I had to like <laughs> fill in the rest. <laughs> Witnesses. <laughs> You're too um. funny. There was a crowd in that place. Mm-hmm. Didn't that say that there are people who saw? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what? yeah, I would imagine there would be like other people who saw this. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the slipping away of Jesus is interesting because if, I mean, I don't know about you, if I'm a dude next to him and I'm trying to get healed mm-hmm. and this guy's like, boom, he heals him, I'd be like, what about me? Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, and he slips away, right? So it's interesting. Again, the story is zooming in on this one person. And I think it is reflective of. Um, the election of God and salvation, but um, what does this like? I don't know. What does this tell you about? Like, like it really reminds me, of course, of that story of like ten people like heal and one dude comes back and says thank you, right? Mm-hmm. But like, what does that say about humanity? Selfish. Selfish. <laughs> he's healed him of something that he's been like, like has crippled him for thirty-eight years. Like, I can't even imagine that, right? It's been the most devastating thing of his life. It's the one thing he wants resolved, right? It's nothing else. Like, every, like, there's not a, nothing else is priority A on this, on his agenda. That thing is resolved after 38 years by this one man, by his authoritative word. He doesn't bother to figure out who this person is, right? Um, what does it say about humanity? Ungrateful. They're prone to focus on the temporal things. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it really reflects to me, like, um, we love the divine power of God that can resolve our earthly issues. Mm. But it does not mean we will put our trust and faith in Him when He resolves those things. Mm. Right? Like, it's... I think it's very insightful to us and a healthy reminder to us. Like, John is reminding us that there is a greater work of Christ in us that will yield us to Him that is not resolving your earthly problems. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, as I read this, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of like what stands out to me. Yeah, right? Wow, that hit me so hard. <laughs> um, it's supposed to hit your heart. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Because what follows right after, where are we found in verse 14? So we've gone... Feast of the Jews, you know, porticles, all that stuff. The setting is there. We zoomed in on the Sabbath. Again, emphasis on law, what's permissible, what's not permissible, these things. And then immediately contrasted with all of a sudden in the temple, 
course, temple is the ultimate symbol of the law. He says to him, behold, he finds him in that place, in the temple. He finds him there. Of course, he's in the temple because it's the Feast of the Jews. So it makes sense that now that he can walk, he can go and like give his you know, offerings and whatnot. And he says to him, behold, you have become well. But what does he mean by that? Because immediately what falls after that is not that you can walk. What is he referring to here? What is the well that Jesus really seeks in him? The being well that he seeks in him? Of, like, sin? Yeah. Because what it immediately follows is, do not sin anymore. Which ref- reveals what about Christ's concern for us? Our sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His concern is our sin. Like... We could ask the question, right? Why didn't he heal everyone there? Mm-hmm. Because it's not going to heal the most. Like, we, it would be great. It would be this incredible story in scripture, right? Jesus goes to Bethesda, heals multitudes of people who've been like ill, sick, lame, blind. That seems like where the story's headed. Because John's giving us this, those who are sick, who are blind, who are lame and withered. Right? And a lot of times, like, you hear about this Jesus who came and he healed the blind and the lame and the sick and the withered. That's not the story. Because the story's conclusion is not so much that this man, the celebration of this man's healing from his crippled state. It's rather, at the end, that he finds him in the temple in this very grand setting of the Feast of the Jews. He's been healed, yes, of his crippled state, but the emphasis that Christ brings us back to is do not sin anymore and what's the warning attached to that so that what nothing worse happens to you if you're this man who has been unable to walk and has been suffering in his physical condition for 38 years I don't know if you can imagine something worse so for Jesus to say do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you is very very profound Mm. like very profound to this man so what's his response can we linger on that sure are we going to come back to that no let's linger on it what is the what is the implication of nothing worse well sin is he referring to the eternal things that will come if you sin i think so but in at this point we don't we see that this man was this man saved at this very moment yeah it's hard to say in that case what do you call it can anything worse ever happen to him Mm. and then the question then the question you can ask is is the worst that jesus is implying does it refer to that or like physical things question (laughs) then the question for that is like so in in life if we sin does that can that materialize in uh physical like temporal punishment on earth yeah yeah absolutely i think we see that in scripture um yeah Yeah, i think there's two ways to interpret this like you could interpret it the man in a good light like he went to the pharisees because he was just joyful if he's doing that then like his heart's in the right place and now we're talking about physical bad things that can happen if you sin, mm-hmm. right? If you interpret it the way like, oh, he went to go rat, 
on the Pharisees. Like the text, it's hard to tell whether he had good intentions or bad. Yeah, I, I kind of lean towards good. I don't think he would just go and rat on Jesus after, but it, it's possible, right? Like I, I can't prove either way. But if it's bad, like he had bad intentions, I think it's talking like eternal, right? Like you're going to go to hell. But if it's good, then it's like even Christians, when we sin and do stupid things, like physically bad things happen to us. Like if I go out and like sleep with everyone, <laughs> I'll get like STDs, right? Um, <laughs> if I start doing drugs, you know, I'll mess my body. If I, so um, I think it could be both temporal, like bad things can happen temporally too if you sin, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be both. The question of whether he is saved at this point, I think is up for debate. I would lean towards not yet because nothing, at least by the details given to us of the like what has ensued between him and Jesus. Yeah, I mean, he just got his name. He finally just got his name. Like, <laughs> it, isn't Jesus implying that you have to sin no more in order to like keep up your like essentially eternal? Oh, his physical, his physical healing and eternal. Yeah, I mean, I think the this particular thing is a realization that this man will have if he does come to faith later, and I'm hoping he does. Um, but I think at the moment, the man could potentially understand what Jesus is saying as, oh, if I continue to sin, I'm going to go back to my crippled state, right? But I think we have a better understanding of knowing Christ's identity and knowing the nature of his ministry, that this conversation that or this particular statement is not referring to particularly his physical condition but it's rather dealing with first his moral behavior and second because think about it like jesus chosen this man to be healed but he's focusing again just like with the woman the samaritan woman at the well and with nicodemus that it's sin that the concern is sin here right the sin the sinner's sin is really the concern of christ's ministry and so although he has healed this man i think he's putting emphasis on and as as listeners too that yeah, you could have everything resolved in your earthly life. It means squat unless you are like healed of sin, mm-hmm. right? Like it literally means nothing that you can now pick up your pallet and walk. Like, and that's what's being contrasted because it's extraordinary that this man was healed, but the extraordinary extraordinary nature of that healing from the human perspective, like wow, this man who could not walk for thirty years has been healed totally fails in comparison to the ultimate work of Christ in, in the sinner's life. The true healing work of Christ's ministry, right? Like the real mir- miracle that he will bestow upon us, which is his work on the cross. And so his concern is sin. And so that nothing worse happens, I think to me that points to hell. That points to eternal damnation. So could that mean like sin no more or you won't be saved? Uh, I don't... Which is kind of like, in the language of it, it's almost like... Like legalistic, like work work salvation. Um, I think the idea is repentance, right? Like repent and believe so that you do not ultimately end up in the wrong end of that. Again, um, a lot of the bits and pieces we're getting of Jesus' conversation between these people, they come into full realization as we continue and progress in this gospel, right? So the original hearers are going to consume this in the entirety of this book at once, right? And so as they're like following along, these statements become clearer and clearer as you go. Yeah. Right. I think Jesus is also getting at the fact that 
even our physical problems, ultimately the, the, the ultimate cause of it is always sin. Yes. It's either original sin from Adam. Like, you, like you might be born crippled. It's not because you sinned in a previous life. It's just like original sin, right? But even like bad things that happen often, it's because of our stupid sin that we do, right? So whether it's original sin or actual sin, um, I think Jesus is really trying to get at like, as Max said, like, sin is the focus here. Right? Yeah. Like, there's no mention of sin in the first 13 verses. Mm. It's pure physical, oh, I can't walk. And then boom, out of nowhere, when he sees him a second time, it's like, sin, no more. Mm. So it's like, it's, it's just like a radical shift. Yeah. Right? As you said. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. It's like, this right. is your major problem, man. It's, it's not the fact you can't walk. Like and I think there's a contrast in the yeah. healing of his crippled state. He does not even bother to get Christ's name. Yeah. But in the second conversation, where the conversation is about his the moral reality and his spiritual reality, his eternal reality, he gets he gets Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. And then immediately he witnesses him, at least with good or bad intention, to the yeah. Jews, that it was Jesus who had made him well. And whether that credit is being like is a blame or it's actually credit yeah yeah sure it's we can um look at it two different ways yeah what's more important is then verse 16 for this reason the jews were persecuting jesus because he was doing these things what was he doing that they're persecuting for yeah healing right on the sabbath particularly so he's healing him and he's not only is there concern that this man is uh the man himself is picking up a pallet and walking now their concern is against Jesus who's telling this man to do so plus the healing work of Christ which really should be celebrated mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. regardless of what day it's done on but it's not celebrated because they look at it uh, primarily as disobedience to the law mm-hmm. let's go back to quickly what are the settings from Sabbath to temple Sab- like we've seen a transition in the setting right but the conversation surrounded on, on the Sabbath this happened at the temple this happened right so I think what we're being told here is that the function of these things has become like no longer relevant. Like they're just like become problematic, really, right? Like people have distorted these things. And Christ is here to fulfill the purposes of these things fully and perfectly. Um I love his response. <laughs> Uh, you don't get this in English. Uh, it says, but he answered. But the term in Greek, answered, is a legal term. It transitions to a legal term. It's a defense of oneself. So it's a legal defense. Christ is defending himself in verse 17. And his defense is this, right? Because they're persecuting him for doing these things on the Sabbath. But Christ's legal defense of himself is this. My father is working until now, and I myself am working. This is like such an odd response. Like, if someone is accusing you, you mean, why are you doing this? Like, this is wrong. What, like, on this, at this time, you shouldn't be doing this, right? And the response is, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Like, like I'm really surprised no one brought this up. I thought that would be, like, one of the first things that you guys would bring up. But anyways, it's okay. Verse 17, what is, what is odd about that response? Or what stands out to you? And perhaps what do you, th- well, like, how do you see this, like, response of Christ? multiple layers but Mm -hmm. he answers regarding the sabbath where you're not supposed to work with i am working and the father is working but he he gives the authority to which the authority that gave the sabbath in the first place 
Mm -hmm. He kind of overrides it saying, well, that authority is working. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It's like a weird, like... Mm -hmm. I think the next rebuttal. verse. It's like a sassy rebuttal. It's a sass. I don't know if that's the right word. Sassy. Uh, <laughs> I think the next verse, like, really explains 17. So therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he had not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his yes. father. Making oh. That, that explains what Jesus exactly meant. Oh. So here, Jesus is saying, like, just because we rest on Sundays, God is not resting. Yes. He's preserving this world every second. So, so he's saying, my father does that, and I do that too. So he's pretty much equating himself with, with God the Father. Yeah, the confusion <laughs> that a lot of people have on the seventh day in, in Genesis is that God rested from creating. He yeah. did not rest from preserving, doing, like doing, yeah. like or being God, right? Yeah, being God, yeah, <laughs> like, being God, yeah. It's like, oh, this day I will stop. Stop being God, it yeah. It just doesn't, like, it doesn't yeah. work that way, right? Yeah. He's marking that day with special significance and uh, providing a template for earthly life, but also, like, we cannot, like, project, like, what we ought to, like, so the, I think there's a misinterpretation that's going on by the Pharisees here, or the Jews here, is that, oh, God completely did nothing on this day, so therefore we can't yeah. even pick up this bag and walk. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, there's a misunderstanding, again, of the spirit of these things, right? Um, but what's unique is that first word, my father. Why, why, like Richard already pointed to it, um, in verse 18, he gives us like how they understood Christ's words. What what is interesting about that? What is interesting about this? John wrote this book to reveal that Jesus is Christ, mm -hmm. the Son of God. Mm -hmm. And that shows that example. Yeah. Like there's um I feel like there's two layers like to this thing or to this statement, right? There's a first half of it. My father is working until now, and then there's a second part. And I myself am working. So my immediate mind just jumps to, oh, that second phrase basically makes Christ co-equal with God. Mm. Like he is God, right? He's that's what he's indicating. Yeah. John one begins with this very thing, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Like yeah. that's how it started, and that's where we're being drawn to right this Christ's self-proclamation of himself as being in chapter 4 was Messiah yeah. right and here it's developing more now it's becoming more and more specific and being becoming more and more like more layers are being added to this identity that yeah. make it full for in our understanding right but what's profound and what would be completely blasphemous to the Jews is that first word my it's not the father is working until now it's my father is working until now. Like, why, what do you think Christ is indicating with that particular term? That he's related to God. Yeah, I think he's indicating a unique relationship between him and the father mm -hmm. that does not exist for anyone else, right? But it's not just that the father is this separate entity working, but that it is also me like i am also working right so there's this obvious like language that is indicating co-equal uh 
like the co-equal uh, nature between the son and the father <clears throat> but then this incredible unique relationship that exists between the son and the father as well that is unique to Christ right? and ultimately that's going to be the language of that will ultimately yield son of God to us right um, this is very very interesting and I'm not too surprised that the Jews I mean I'm kind of surprised that they would immediately jump to wanting to kill him <laughs> but um, I mean that's how seriously they took yeah. right the law um, and that's how seriously they took heresy so they're looking at this and they're going whoa right I think it's like for the modern Christian like when we read this we don't jump to that right we don't see this statement offensively well first of all we believe in Christ right <laughs> and we believe in these things so we don't find it like too horrendous but it's hard to see this through the lens of the Jew who would have seen this as absolutely offensive to them yeah because yeah. at, at this point in his ministry he hasn't gone out and said, I'm God, right? You're right. So it's like, as you said, when you ask, like, was this done on purpose? Jesus healing this guy with a mat who's going to carry this and provoke this chain of events. Like, Jesus planned everything out. Yes. It's like, it's time for him to reveal a little bit more about himself. Like, people, he hasn't gone out and said, I'm, my father works and I work, therefore we're equal. So far, he's like, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of Man. But now it's like, okay, here's a next level. And how, how am I going to orchestrate this? I'm going to heal this guy with a mat, right? Not the dude without a mat, because the dude without a mat wouldn't have provoked this reaction right. from the Pharisees. So it's like brilliant. It's like it is. a master plan. It's yeah, so and just like how but, the conversation in John 4 with the Samaritan woman at the well simply began with Jesus being thirsty and being at that well, when that woman comes and he just goes, give me a cup of water. Yeah. Like, there's no way you can think that that story, like, goes from, can I have a drink of water, to, what was the conclusion of that story? The whole hey, go and tell everyone that, like, yeah. like, it's an incredible, like, conversation that yields incredible fruit, right? Here, it seems like, again, the story just begins with Jesus' simple encounter with a man at a pool, and everything all of a sudden mm. snowballs to yeah, this snowballs. final conclusion of, my father's working <laughs> until now, and I myself. And then it's going to ensue. Like next week, we're going to read it, verse eighteen to twenty-four. This incredible proclamation of who Jesus is. Crazy, right? So but this is only drawn out from the from Christ simply walking to this pool and going in Bethesda, and going, "Hey, you, do you wish to get well?" Mm-hmm. And that just poof, triggers everything. Right. Brilliant. I wonder if Jesus is like he's still human, right? Mm-hmm existing in the temple if he like just kind of said things as they came or like as he approaches men he said when i approach this man he will say this to me and i will say this i don't think his mind process like uh no no like because well i don't know it was just a, i can't speak on yeah. behalf of christ or how his mind works or how the dynamic of that thing would actually like even like we can only begin to like think or imagine how divine knowledge and, and like human construct of the brain like how those things fuse together but um like when we talk about human beings having foreknowledge and then what that foreknowledge would yield and, and produce in terms of our action like i don't think that's how christ like I don't, I don't think the hypostatic union would work in that way. Right? Like, like as if, like, it's not like we, it's yeah, not yeah. a human all of a sudden with yeah. superpowers, right? Mm-hmm. It's something completely different than that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I could even begin to comprehend how that functions. The knowledge of all things, and then this 
truly man nature of Christ. Yeah, I think everything is um, well thought out. Yeah, according to the divine nature. Yeah. And I think John is like portraying to us just how um, in all of these sequences, these conversations, and these little events that he has uh, depicted for us, because he's again with precision chosen these things and he's articulating them in a certain way. I think it's really reflecting to us just how our own stories, our own testimonies of coming to know Christ and believing in Him is like really just the miraculous work of Christ, of, of God and in us and His work and His Spirit. And there's just like, I don't get the sense that these people have control in these situations. That, yeah, they're just functioning everyday life, doing their thing, going to the well, going to, you know, the pool, whatever. And they encounter Christ and everything changes and all of a sudden life is different and blah, blah, blah. Um, with the disciples, with everyone else. And in, the very, in a very similar sense, like we, if you are this person, this man who got well, like there's, I just don't know if he could have, like he can comprehend these things the same way that we're reading them, right? Like yeah. he's, he was probably, he was probably shocked yeah. at like all these things occurring, right? It's very interesting. Crazy. Yeah. So, what Unjong said earlier, were these things done on purpose? Absolutely. We see one of the major themes in John's gospel is God's timing, right? God's precision in all things, his planning of all things, yeah. and his knowledge of all things, and all things unfolding in accordance with his will. Like imagine if he healed a blind guy, right? He just walks home, but he's not carrying a mat. So the Pharisee's like, whatever. Right? Let him go home. It's fine. But he just purposely heals a guy with a mat. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so, like, it's really smart. Yeah. He's a smart guy. And then all of these things are yielding, I mean, ultimately yield this conversation, <laughs> right? Very smart. 18 to 24. <laughs> he is, man. Any thoughts, questions? So we're kind of wrap up on this section of the text. Um, that was good. Yeah. yeah. I love this chapter. This is this is this is the one that I love. Mm -hmm. Bethesda. Mm -hmm. um, anything? That was a good one. That was good. Any thoughts, comments? Wait till next week. Eighteen twenty-four is dense. Mm -hmm. It is. It is some thick text. <laughs> the titles look dense. This is so yes. refreshing. It's I need so to do more Bible reading at home. This is my um my uh, compensation for neglecting Bible reading. Okay, you're not allowed to come anymore. That's <laughs> how so you read your Bible daily. <laughs> how dare you use us? I'm sorry. Anybody? Oh, Jet's on. Jet, if you have a thought. Well, Jet's here. What's up, Jet? Gotta look into the camera. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, any thoughts, comments on what we've learned today? Yeah, like maybe like two people to share um, what was helpful, what stood out, and then we'll pray and we'll grab A and W. <laughs> a and W. Bridget's favorite. Yeah, just your favorite. After Popeyes. I think for me, like this is not super um, relevant, but just like God's sovereignty in everything. It's just like so mind-blowing mm -hmm. you, you think that something is like accidental things mm -hmm. happen accidentally but then like everything ends up so 
crazy good, right? Yeah. So I feel like for me that's especially because I neglected my Bible reading this week. Like just being reminded of that in this text, like nothing is accidental. Yeah. Right? There's no need to regret or anything. Just keep moving forward, right? Yeah. It's it's amazing. It's such a sovereign it's not a sovereignty text, but it's just like it just pervades the whole the whole eighteen verses. Yeah. Just crazy. Yeah. Really amazing. Thank you. Others? Anything that stood out or was helpful today? It showed me how crippled I was. to the text today like made me realize that I do that more often than I think where what is that I think of the physical things the solution physical solutions and I look towards that and then I forget about who I don't know if I'm wording it correctly just like recently I feel like my, I've been having like a struggle like working hard at work and stuff like that where literally like I kind of lost a little bit of momentum so it, I'm in a like rut in terms of like rec- the recruitment side of things mm-hmm. and I'm like it literally feels like sometimes I'm just looking at the screen and I don't know what to do mm-hmm. and it's like I've been feeling crippled almost mm-hmm. and then so and then it's kind of been making me depend on God but like today listening to the text and stuff like that I'm like I was looking at the wrong thing like I was looking at the solution to the work and like being in a rut in terms of that instead of looking to Jesus himself Mm -hmm. and like just a little bit of a mindset thing Mm -hmm. that's awesome like focus Mm -hmm. on the wrong things yeah like it's it's extraordinary to me like if you could take a glimpse into history the image of this right that there is this pool this man and Jesus right in front of him and his entire focus is still the pool mm-hmm. like it's I mean obviously it's because he doesn't know who Christ is but like it's like it's very staggering to me that we know who Christ is and we still yeah. we'll put our focus in something completely different. We're right? so sinful. And that is, um, I think it's a really good thought. Thank you for that. With that said, would you like to close us in prayer? Sure. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Father God, thank you for this time uh, just to be able to look upon your word together, uh, see the things that you've done, see who you are, Lord God. It just... Um, just such an amazing grace, Lord, uh, that we can look upon um, your word like this and that we could reflect on our own faith and that it can really just help us uh, to uh, recognize things, Lord Father, um, about us and our relationship with you each time we look, Lord, to be able to just come back to you each and every single time like that and uh, be reminded and for you to come to us uh, with as the word and with that word uh, God I just 
thank you uh, for that amazing grace. And God, I just pray that as we read in the text today, Lord Father, uh, that we don't forget, um, but have our eyes set on um, really eternal things, Lord Father, not the physical solutions, but to really just follow you um, for you, Lord, and for the things that you've done in grace uh, by the gospel, Lord Jesus, and not for um, just such worldly things, God. Uh, be with us, Lord, as we continue to look upon your word, Lord Jesus, won't you empower us and equip us uh, to be uh, more well-equipped for uh, the work of the kingdom, and God, won't you help us to grow uh, continuously, uh, that we may be able to just be a part of um, the work that is at hand for your kingdom. Uh, be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.